Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. So welcome over to the product. Today I am here with Nancy. Uh, Nancy, why don't you just kind of give us a quick little overview of who you are and your background and we'll get this all started. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, and thank you, Eric and uh, Pendo team for having me today, as well as it was a joy to be a speaker at the Product Craft Conference uh, a few weeks back when this whole virus situation uh, was kind of a speck on the horizon. Yeah. So nice to meet everybody. My name is Nancy Wang. So currently I lead product and engineering for a business line within Amazon Web Services called AWS Backup. So AWS Backup, we provide the core data protection platform for all of the stateful workloads, popular ones that you might have heard of called EBS, RDS, S3, that folks might run on AWS Cloud. So prior to that, I also led different parts of products at a startup company in Palo Alto called Rubrik, and then before that was a PM at Google. So majority of my career has been spent building products and specifically building products for technical audiences. So excited to be here today. Awesome. It's great having you here. Now, talk to me a little bit about those early experiences. I mean, we can start at, at Google. I, I heard you were one of the first PMs, one of the first female PMs, too, at, at Google Fiber. What was that experience like? Yeah, so this was actually right about the time that I transitioned from working for the government. So prior to officially starting out as a PM, where I had the official PM title, was working for large federal agencies, some of whom I, I still can't speak of due to clearances, but I was essentially working on network infrastructure projects for um, DISA, which is Defense Information Security Agency. And part of that project was around, you know, how do we essentially, you know, help government agencies leverage uh, dark fiber to be able to transfer information much faster between different sites. And so that was a pretty straight segue into Google Fiber, which at the time was Google's big bet into the ISP or internet service provider world. So projects I worked on there were essentially building out network monitoring. So when you have, when you typically think of Google, right, you think of ads, you think of Chrome, you think of the browser, you think of search, right? Those are all non-hardware products. But when you switch into becoming an ISP, you end up having network devices or actual uh, fiber optic cables that you not only lay in the ground, but you attach to poles and you drive all the way to individual subscriber homes. And you also have TV boxes for over-the-top or OTT subscribers. So all of those devices, as well as the fiber network, had to be monitored for health in some uh, shape or fashion. So Part of what we did as a team was build out those services. So part of those experiences were, you know, as in, you know, incoming new PM at the time, right, it was also looking at who my peers were and who I could learn from. And so part of, you know, what every new PM thinks about probably when they join, first join their company is what are the next steps? What is my upward career mobility like? And at the time, I remember having super supportive, you know, managers and also peers on my team. At the same time, I also wanted folks, you know, who are accessible, who I could ping for advice, who I identified with, who are female. 
And so given that there was just a lack of other women sort of in this space in general, and this is not just isolated to Google, but other companies as well, that's what led me to start a nonprofit organization called Advancing Women in Product, or AWIP for short, which started from my living room collection of women and also male advocates who believed in our cause of getting more women into the industry and helping more women take those steps into the next uh, level. Right. Net is now a seven chapter strong all around the world global presence. We have chapters in San Francisco, in Seattle, Boston, New York, Paris, and our newest chapter just opened in Chennai, India. So our focus is really now that we, uh, we have women and other diverse candidates who are starting out as product managers, how do we help them ascend the ladder and get into those visible leadership roles? So tell me a little bit more about that. How, how do you help them ascend that ladder? Sure, that's a great question. So we, we played around with a few models and you know, our, one of our core pillars is skills-based programming. So if you look on our website, advancingwomeninproduct.org, you'll see that we've done now over 70 different workshops, ranging from product analytics, ranging from technical skills for PMs, all the way to how do you influence, how do you handle board meetings, how do you get into a board position in the first place. And so throughout all of these webinars, what we focus on is in order to get to the next level, there are different skills that one needs, whether you know, you're starting out as a technical product manager or you're moved to a group product manager or eventually a director of product role. There are certain skills that you need to be successful. And so part of this is also peer-to-peer training because we want to focus on making our programming as accessible as for everybody. So you know, we provide these trainings really at cost for our entire community. So what have you learned in building this organization? I I know it's grown a lot in a relatively short period of time. You know, what have been the big learnings? What's what hasn't worked and and what has worked really well for you? For sure. So I always love to kind of talk about like what are the the growth areas? So, you know, to your point, we we definitely have grown quite a bit from, you know, what started out in my living room were starting to break the 15,000 member strong mark. And now we have over 100 foundation partners as well as corporate sponsors who help us in our mission. One of the personal lessons I learned is when, especially we have a team now of 140 volunteers, everyone has a full-time job or they're a full-time student. We have actually several um, PhD data scientists on our team that help us parse through our user analytics. But with that said, how do you motivate a all-volunteer workforce, right? Because when you can't pay folks a salary, a lot of it comes, or in fact, the mission as well as the vision that you can paint for the organization becomes that much more important because folks are essentially donating the time that they have outside of their busy day jobs or family obligations to chip towards a cause that they need to believe in. So with that said, I'm really proud that we've been able to grow the team so quickly. Aside from chapter teams that are local to each market, we have a 40-person HQ team that's spread out across operations, engineering, marketing, all the way to, you know, HR and legal. And so all of our folks, for example, we have an engineering manager who by day manages the networks for Etisalat, which is the largest telco provider for the Middle East, and then for AWIP, he manages all of our backend, our website, as well as our front-end design. So I'm just super excited and, and proud of the team that we've been able to build to forward this mission. Now, tell me about the results you've seen. 
For sure. So to date, we measure our results both by impact, right? So when you dive into what is impact, and so part of our core mission is we aim to solve the pathways problem. So whereas there are other you know, really great organizations out there like Girls Who Code or Girls in Tech who target the very early career individuals or folks who are still in college, we tend to strive for PMs who are between three to five years, five to 10 years plus, right? So folks who are just on the cups of getting their first director of product or first VP of product roles. And so impact there are how many women we've been able to place on boards. And so we're proud to announce that, you know, via a partnership with the board list, we've been able to provide many of our executive members the opportunities to serve in board positions. We also measure impact by how many women who self-report them being successful in their promotion journeys via the skills that they gain through AWIP or via the executive community. So another pillar I haven't touched upon yet, in addition to skills-based programming, is our ambassador community. So our ambassadors are executives, actually like yourself, Eric, who are either founders or who are very experienced individuals. We have CPOs, CTOs, founders, as well as VCs within our network who essentially open up their resources to help our community advance to the next level. So we're also excited to report that over 300 women who have self-reported that they have been successful in getting promotions or either you know, within their company or uh, lateral promotions in other companies when pursuing new opportunities through being a part of AWIP. For more stats, we also published a finding, a report last year in May called The Future of Women's Study that was featured in a Forbes article. We sampled over 600 women PMs, ranging all the way from three years in their career to 25 years plus. And some of the challenges that they faced in their day-to-day routine, which is how do they make their voice heard, right? Or how do they make sure that they themselves become the best advocate for their promotions? Or how do they switch from being a very senior IC to then including some of the people management opportunities or even P&L opportunities that oftentimes what executives look for when they're promoting individuals. So all of those encompassed is how AWIP starts to target the pathways problem. Now, you know, there's always been challenges for women in technology and and women in product more specifically. How have you seen those change over time, you know, as, as you've progressed through your career? Are they the same? Are they changing? For sure. I I do have to commend a lot of organizations and, you know, it's not just AWIP sort of fighting the good fight here, but being able to have a lot more male advocates who are aware of the issue and who are super supportive. So, for example, you know, within my current company, you know, we have an employee resource group and these are really great resources for, you know, women or male advocates within an organization to get to know how they can make a difference in this mission. So, for example, for, you know, Amazon, both my manager as well as, you know, my manager's manager are super supportive about starting a program where we can actually sponsor more women. So, how does that work? And and this is sort of in beta, so I'd love to kind of share the the results or details once we progress in the program. But findings typically show that sponsors can help someone go further in their career than mentors, right? And these days, I think the 
the fact that more people know what is the distinction between having a mentor who might provide you, you know, timely advice or maybe contacts versus a sponsor who will actually put his or her reputation on the line for you, either within that company or generally within the community, right? What are the different outcomes, right? And so I think more studies as well as more programs that are geared towards a sponsorship direction, that's where we're going to see the most uh, movement in the needle. I like that a lot. I mean, we've always, or at least I've grown up with, you know, mentorship programs in place, but I, I do like that transition to the added value you can get out of that, that sponsor as opposed to just a pure mentor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, I think the point around the differentiation of a sponsor actually puts their reputation on the line, that's super important because that means then it's not just a, you know, here's my two cents, right? Take it or, or yeah, leave yeah. it mentality, but rather, you know, I'm invested in you and your success is something that I will take personal pride in. And that sort of really changes the dynamic. With that said, you know, you can't force a, a sponsorship relationship, which is why even within AWIP context, with our ambassadors community, a lot of that interaction is really organic from folks attending our programming, from folks attending our um, leadership dinners that we typically hold with our VC sponsors, is some of those organic conversations then turn into friendships, which then turn into sponsorships. I like it. I think that's awesome. Tell our listeners, I mean, we obviously have you know, female and male product managers, product leaders listening. Tell them some things they can be doing to you know, strengthen things like advancing women in product. Yeah, for sure. So I think first step is if there are opportunities within your organization to get involved with an employee resource group that focuses on either diversity, hiring, retention, or promotion, there's just some of the best ways, right? Because if you can already see folks within your own organization that could benefit from your efforts, either in you know, helping them to be retained within the company or helping them you know, get that next promotion, I think that's the best you know, short-term or near-term goal that you could strive for. In the long run, right, seeing where you know, your skill sets fit within a larger organization, like, for example, AWIP. So, if you look at the different teams that exist within AWIP, which is truly, you know, a nonprofit corporation, if one could call it that, because we have all of these skills-based uh, different teams. So, for example, our CMO is the head of product analytics for YouTube, and so she's very involved and donates her specific skill sets to help us measure retention, engagement, reach. Likewise, our general counsel was a former tax attorney at Reed Smith. That's a very different example of someone who, again, donates his specific skill sets to benefiting the cause. So no matter if you're, you know, a B2C, you know, PM or uh, a web developer or even someone in, you know, finance or accounting, there are different ways for you to contribute your own skill sets to a cause. Awesome. Thanks. That was great. Well, let's turn the conversation back a little bit to, to your experience. You know, you've been in the, you've obviously worked at big companies. You worked at the government, Google, Amazon. You've also had some startup experience. You mentioned Rubrik, who I, I know the CEO from a past life. Talk to me about the differences in those experiences What, from your perspective. Yeah, for sure. Also, we'll, we'll have to chat about Bitbull offline. He, he is definitely a force. I have to say he, he stole the offer to me back when I was joining the company. So just, just phenomenal in how he paints vision. So 
you know, going back to kind of these processes, ultimately, I hear a lot of kind of the same challenges and, and kind of pivoting from, you know, the women in product angle is, and this is not just, you know, isolated to women, but also a lot of PMs out there is that typically when they move from, you know, big company to small company, then back to big company, they often find themselves sort of stuck within the senior PM or maybe, you know, principal PM category, and they find themselves unable to move to that next step. And so drawing parallels to my own experiences, you know, it was really helpful for me early on to have a manager that very clearly painted, here are the next steps in your career progression, and here are the things that you need to do to get to the next level. So for example, you know, at Google, I started out managing one product within the entire network monitoring portfolio. But by the time um, I, I was about to leave Google to join the world of startups, I then started PMing over 40 different products and tools within the network monitoring umbrella. So quickly expanding scope is one way to quickly build experience. And then when I joined Rubrik, I was then um, third or fourth PM, so one of the early PMs as we were developing still our what began as our cloud story, so the, the Rubrik Go or the SaaS product. And so being able to be part of a founding member of that product evolution also gave me really good perspective into how do you actually build a product team, how do you mature a product team, and then how do you get a product team to also shift mindset from, let's say, building software that was intended for hardware devices now building pure SaaS-based products that are run in containers. So I think being part of, you know, that shift and then now more recently to AWS where, you know, I'm in charge of leading a product that just launched in January 2019 and is now quickly maturing because for a data protection product or a backup that our target audience is some of the largest enterprise companies that are out there. So they have strict guidelines or requirements for how they want to protect the integrity of their data around encryption, around security. So I would say, you know, my advice sort of for folks out there who are looking to advance that next level is think about where you ultimately want to be. What position do you want to be? What vertical or what space do you want to be? And make sure that every step along the way, you're building skills to help you get there, whether it's, you know, being a better product manager, whether it's, for example, one of the new things I learned last year was how to also manage a P&L. So whether it's taking on additional responsibilities that might be directly outside of a strict, you know, PM swim lane, which is typically, um, you know, go to market pricing, or as I mentioned, managing a P&L that will help you understand your product at a much more holistic level. And ultimately, you know, having now sat on also promotion committees, that's also the attributes that senior leadership typically look for in rising leaders. Now, do you, do you see larger companies and, and maybe even some of the old school kind of companies that have been around longer? There's more responsibility for PMs in areas like P&L and pricing than you might in a, a startup where even though it's growing really rapidly, it, it often is like a, a one product shop, so to speak, for a while at least. Yeah, I would say, you know, Rubrik was definitely an anomaly in the sense that as a PM there, especially as one of the earlier PMs, I got to do a lot of things. Things like, uh, for example, not just, you know, building the technical specs or requirements for a product, but also how do we go to market? How do we pitch it? Also writing some of the product marketing blogs. I'd be embarrassed if you still saw my file system or NAS one up, but I think it still might be up on the Rubrik website. So that all goes to say, you know, the more holistic you can be, you know, makes you not just a one-trick pony that can build a specific set. And that's where I see most people stagnate in their careers. 
at larger companies, there are different schools of thought. So for example, if you compare a Google PM to an Amazon PM, at Google, uh, many products, unless you work in you know, YouTube or ads, are pre-revenue. So for example, I have a friend who joined Google right out of Berkeley. To this day, he's never priced a product, even though he's a very senior PM now within Google. At the same time, Google also has very developed resources in the sense that there's a product marketing team to help with go-to-market strategy. There is a BI team to help you write your own you know, queries to, to look at different product insights. At Amazon, I like to tell all of my candidates that are coming in that we're extremely self-serve in the sense that PMs are also responsible for their own pricing as well as their own naming. So if you want to name your product something that, you know, users might have to guess as what the the product is, right? That's also your job as an Amazonian PM. There are also uh, different, for example, uh, first call decks, go to market. How do you even want to present your product at big major conferences, for example, like let's say reInvent every year. So Given that all of these responsibilities that typically may fall into adjacent product works like marketing or operations or BI right now are part of the the Amazonian PM responsibilities, it really makes PM more of a focal point within an org strategy role. So talk to me about what you enjoyed at these different roles, because they had different aspects, different things you had to do, different things you had to learn. What, What did you enjoy in the different roles? For sure. So I'm a builder, I'm a creator. And so that's why even if you look at the organizations or teams that I've been on um, throughout my career, even within the government, I was within a very uh, specialized team. So when I first joined the government, I worked for the U.S. Department of, of Health and Human Services, coming in as a fellow right out of undergrad is I worked on, you know, essentially building out the the second version of healthdata.gov, which is the website that aggregated all the data sets across the operating divisions like FDA, NIH, um, CDC, so on and so forth, and made it available to the general public, is that I love creating new ideas and, and just making sure that we can bridge the gap between innovation and something that is stable. So that's what I'm doing right now at Amazon. I'm also done that in the past with Google Fiber, which is Google's bet for ISPs. Done that with Rubrik when we're bridging the gap between how do we move from you know, selling perpetual licenses to a SaaS-based product. So that's what I hope I'll continue doing in my career as a PM. Awesome. Awesome. Now, an area you're passionate about too is productivity tools, right? Talk to me about yes. that. Talk to me about that market. Yeah, for sure. So right now, um, you know, I, I definitely recall, you know, back at Rubrik, for example, and in parts of, you know, Amazon too, is how do we, like, especially as, you know, as you grow a PM team. So leveraging my current situation. So I joined my, my current team at AWS. I joined as a first PM. I hired the second PM and now we're looking to onboard our fourth PM. So originally when it's just the two of us as the early PMs, it was very easy to convey ideas such as, okay, let's prioritize this. No, actually let's move this backlog item to let's say third or fourth place. But as your team grows, and especially now that we have one of our PMs who's based in Vancouver and the rest of the team is based in Seattle, how do we make sure that we're all on the same page regarding priorities? So for example, using different roadmap tools. We also have an internal system that is very similar to, for example, Jira, where we track different sprints and all of these different sprints and tasks then map into different stories or epics that are generated by PM. So we can see how different feature backlogs are progressing or how different operational improvements are progressing. 
I think on the user analytics side, this is actually where I love to hear your expertise, Eric, is, you know, as we produce more and more of these, you know, software and and release it to the general public is how do they feel about even things like our console? Or, for example, how are we able to assess how we're able to uh, retain some of our top users? Right now, I have to admit, it is, you know, simply, you know, we're still building out that muscle on the team. So pulling queries, being able to see how user adoption, you know, varied from week to week, seeing major trends, what is the compound growth rate over a week, over a month, so on and so forth. But we'd love to hear actually your thoughts on how maybe bigger or, you know, enterprises have leveraged Pendo to help them with their retention. Yeah, I mean, you know, outside of just Pendo, I think thinking about it, you know, philosophically or strategically, I don't know, philosophically is a great way to describe it. But I, I think, you know, you, you want to make use of what you have, right? And you want to give yourself more tools, more data to make decisions. So doing things like capturing usage analytics is a, verse, is a great first step, you know, and, and to couple that, having these customer conversations is a great first step, Right. Not only should you have this data about how your product's actually being used, but having conversations with customers, I think, is is really important. It's always interesting to me when I interview product leaders, and I used to ask them, you know, do you talk to customers a lot, right? And everyone says yes. And then I quickly got into this concept of, well, what do you mean by a lot? Like, how often do you talk to customers? What does a lot mean to you? Because a lot means to some people, like, once a month, you know, I'll reach out and talk to a customer, and then I see... You know, a lot of the stronger PMs and, and the people that have been successful in their careers have really made uh, a habit of doing that much more often. And they don't have to be all these big structured, you know, conversations. They could just be like, hey, I saw someone come in and post an NPS that got posted to our Slack channel of three. So I reached out to them and we had a five minute chat or, you know, it, it, there was a service, you know, outage and one of the guys had commented on Twitter and I reached out to him or, you know, I saw the support ticket come in. I said, well, well, support's talking to him. I'm also going to reach out to him about what he thinks of the feature he was using that he was having issues with, you know, to understand the user experience. So a lot of these kind of little mini conversations are just as important as these big structured customer interviews. So I, I think it's important that as PMs, we look at, you know, empowering ourselves with this data, the customer data, the usage data, you know, and combining those things together. You know, some of the most powerful things I've, I've seen, you know, PMs do is combining things like NPS data with the usage data. So you can see like, oh, here's the people that are using this new feature and they're super happy with it. Great. Maybe we should launch it out to other people. Maybe we should move it to these other industries. I've seen people using that to say, well, I'm looking for champions. Why don't I look at or champions for a particular feature? Why don't I look for the people that are giving that feature a 10? When I'm looking for things for marketing to, you know, highlight when they're selling this or marketing my product, I'm going to look at features that people use a lot and love, right? And I'm looking for things that I might want to deprecate or move resources away from. I might be looking for features that people never use and really don't like and then really evaluating whether those need to be in the product. I don't know. I could go on and on, and, and that's not the intent of today. But I, I think as PMs, you know, we need to make sure we have both the analytical tool sets in front of us, and we have the conversations with customers, and we capture that qualitative information in addition to quantitative, and really look at this as a whole, and look at this often, right? I, I'm a big fan of PMs needing to you know, empower themselves, so to speak, right? It's great if I can have a dashboard I can go into, if I can pull this information, if I can explore my data. I really worry, you know, when I need to go and, and go to a data analyst and say, okay, show me how my retention looks like for this cohort based upon these new changes, right? I'm really a big fan of, of PMs being able to do things and capture data themselves 
Uh, I'm a big fan of, of things like capture everything. So I, I think the more we can empower PMs, the better decisions they're going to make. And the more they can use that information, and that data to show why they are ready for that next step in their career, like you talked about, right? Being able to say, hey, this is a decision we made and this is how it impacted these three different things is a great story to be able to take to your, your upper management or your boss or your, your boss's boss or just other senior executives or executives at a company. So, yeah, there's, there's lots of different things we can do. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was distributed teams, right? We're working in distributed teams a lot. We've moved in that direction. What, what advice do you have on managing distributed product teams? Yeah. So, you know, going back into kind of what we, the last question we talked about, which was, you know, how do we make sure that PMs can essentially self-serve, right? Because right now I'm really fortunate that, you know, I'm know my way around a BI warehouse and, and so do the other PMs on my team. So that way, when we're, when we do have questions like, you know, how is adoption or how is, you know, revenue changing from week to week, we can simply just actually write a custom query and pull that information ourselves. So that's actually an important part of what I'm looking for when I'm, you know, building out more of a team, let's say in Vancouver. What's unique about my current team is that, you know, my boss sits in Boston. He's the head of the AWS Boston office. You know, I sit in Seattle, but then half of our development team plus one PM sits in Vancouver. So we're actually, even before um, the work from home and, and communicating with colleagues over, I want to say Chime, that's our default video conferencing, but I know other folks probably know about Zoom or, you know, Google Hangouts is that was kind of a staple for us already, right? We are used to doing standups over video conferencing. We're used to using, um, again, we have a tool called Quip, which is allows many folks to edit a document at the same time. So that's kind of our also main um, tool for making sure that we can, you know, produce, let's say, retrospectives or, you know, write docs together as a team. So making sure that everyone in a team is comfortable communicating. And sometimes when you're remote, especially, you often need to err towards the sides of over communicating, especially when your leadership may not be based in the same office or the same market as you. So again, it goes back to, I think, the thread of if, you know, when we're looking for more senior folks to join the team, you know, we assume that they already have these skills off the bat is how do we communicate about your progress on a project without being prompted? How do you also make sure that you bring more visibility, right? And so, especially in this time when now I'm not able to simply walk by, you know, my engineering manager or my engineer's desk in Seattle and say, hey, how's this project going? That's why we've put more detail into our sprint boards. Again, going back to kind of the theme around productivity, right, in a different way around engineering is how do we make sure that we capture these, you know, level of effort, right, what we call, you know, captured in story points and make sure that we bring visibility into what everybody on the team is working on. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good thing you mentioned there, too. Like, how can PMs help their engineering and design teams? And you mentioned one thing, which is adding more detail into, you know, the sprint storyboards. What else do you guys do in remote teams to help the engineering and design teams specifically? Yeah, for sure. So currently, we have one designer on the team. Uh, we're looking to hire one more, and they're both based in Seattle. So using an example of a major feature that we're delivering from the Vancouver team it's required a lot of, you know, over the video conference meetings, quick touch bases, even things like, you know, quick Slack or, or Chime conversation, which what do you think about how I've mocked, right, this, this front end? It has been really helpful. 
especially for this feature that has required uh, UX designers from two different teams to be able to align on the IA or information architecture about how you want to present this, for example, in the AWS console. It's required a lot more meetings than I would say if this feature were relied upon just our single designer as well as just within our team. So I, th I think this goes back into the whole theme around collaboration, transparency around communication, making sure that you're not making decisions in a vacuum, right? So if you decide to change, you know, this widget for this other type of widget, just make sure that you communicate these decisions, right? And that you're having meetings and everybody feels like they have a voice and sign off on the direction. Okay, I think that's great advice. You know, I was thinking as you're you're talking about that about how you know you've talked about you know some of the ways to kind of progress through your career leads me to this question of you know what what do you think makes a good product leader? Sure. So I think that if you look at leadership, and not to be pedantic here, but if you separate it into people, process, and technology, right? On the people side, many of the very um, awesome leaders and I called a few out in my recent HubSpot article was, you know, people who are able to inspire, right? So for example, the reason I'm currently at Amazon and in the position I am was due to a really fundamental uh, mentor and I really call her a sponsor of mine. So she's also ambassador for AWIP and one of our first executive advisors, Tatiana Mahmood from Nextdoor. She used to be a general manager at Amazon. So folks who are able to inspire, very empathetic, right? People want to follow you because either they believe in your vision or they believe that at some fundamental level that you will take care of them, whether their careers or their well-being. So the ability to actually lead. And then from a technology perspective, right? Do people feel like you are growing them, whether they're engineer, designer, PM, finance, business, so on and so forth, in their careers, in their discipline? Are you teaching them about new technologies that they weren't aware of before? Or are you altogether creating an interesting technology for customers, right? And so do they feel motivated from that angle? And then lastly, I think on the process is, are you efficient with how you manage your team or manage your day-to-day? -day? So whether you know, you're an IC and you've just started out as a PM, right? Or as you ascend the ladder and now you're managing either a group of PMs or within Amazon, we call it the general manager role, where you're also managing engineers alongside PMs, is what is the efficiency, right? Is your team able to constantly ship new features or is the feature delivery process getting stuck at some point? Whether it's, you know, inadequate testing or, for example, you have to keep going back to the drawing board. So I believe that a team will assess you on all of these different categories and, you know, my saying is people vote with their feet, right, is if you're a good product leader or a people leader, people will want to follow you versus if you're not, then it will become very clear pretty shortly. Yeah, you mentioned Tatiana, we had her on the podcast. She was, she was wonderful. Had yeah, she's super dynamic. One of the best uh, public speakers I've, I've ever heard. Talk to me a little bit about the interviewing process, both for senior product leaders and junior product managers. What do you look for? How do you approach those different types of interviews? For sure. So, at both places, I've interviewed for, you know, more experienced PMs versus, you know, junior PMs. And also, not to throw a new wrench into it as well, but there's also a different set of criteria that I interview for when I'm looking for people leaders. So PMs who I hire in to manage other PMs. I would say, you know, starting from the IC, so, you know, your typical PM with three to five years of experience, I typically look for, do you have experience building products, right? So 
a little bit different from the associate product manager track, where typically candidates come in without having prior product building experience. So here, what type of products have you built? What type of products are you frankly passionate about? Because sometimes that passion you can see in product managers and how deeply they drill into their problem set into, you know, what you mentioned earlier, Eric, is, you know, how do you then actually dive into customer conversations? Because if it's not a product area that you're super passionate about, right, oftentimes what I find for PMs is that they're a little bit more passive about reaching out to customers, really digging into, you know, what are your pain points? Is this feature really solving your pain points? What should I be doing after the MVP, V2, V3, so on and so forth? Is you're actually intrinsically motivated to dive into more rather than sort of, you know, the checkbox answer. You know, so that's what I would be looking for from IC is experience, passion, and the ability to execute. Moving into a more senior, so, you know, within Amazon, that's typically the the senior PM product manager or the principal product manager category is have you owned not just sort of one product line, but also, let's say, a portfolio or multiple product lines? Because at that level, right, so this goes into when a leader has a problem, can I hand it to you and expect you to essentially run off and, and solve it and report back to me, right? And so that requires someone to be really adept at potentially juggling multiple priorities, both internal priorities as well as, let's say, external commitments that you've made to customers or to other teams within the org. I also typically look for the ability to communicate. So communication is a required skill across all of these levels because essentially a PM is, you know, the the hub and spoke model, right? The, The hub for all of these different spokes, which are different teams that might, you know, help in delivering a product is, are you able to communicate effectively? And that doesn't necessarily require a PM to always have been a former engineer to be able to communicate with engineers, but you will need to dive into some of the details and how is this implemented, right? What are the pros and cons about building it, let's say, with a NoSQL versus a SQL database? Like, what is the use case here? And being able to dive into those type of conversations with your engineers. And then and then I would say that's the additional or the delta that I look for on in addition to, let's say, the, the typical IC. And then when you move into the people management category, so either, you know, at Google, that's known as a group product manager, Typically at Amazon is known as a senior manager of product management or a director of product management, which is the next level above, right, is have you managed, have you developed your direct reports? So either folks, um, so on the positive side, right, making sure that you can mentor folks to the next level, making sure that you can help them put together the necessary artifacts to help them to get them there. Or on the flip side is when you have direct reports that might be, you know, let's say struggling in something or have different growth areas, are you also able to mentor them through those growth areas to get them to be productive members of the team, right? So I think across those levels, I would say, you know, a senior product manager having the ability to manage multiple projects at one time, you know, effective communication for, you know, people managers, I look for both, you know, sort of the growth areas, someone who's able to work through strengths. I like how you summarize that. I think that's a good way to think about it too, as you know, the, the people management skills become more and more important as the, you know, the, <laughs> and maybe it's obvious, but as the breadth and the number of people you need to manage and the responsibility, you know, that that entails. Yeah, for sure. And, and people management too um, can be really rewarding. So recently I stepped into a role where I now also manage our engineering team. So having an org 
especially an org that's you know spread out across two different locations, can teach you a lot of things about the ways that you operate and sometimes how you should better operate as a leader. Got it. So if we're looking at the, the broader product community, do you see any particular trends we should all be aware of that are happening? Yeah, sure. So I think we touched upon um, quite a few in our conversation today, which is you know, around productivity, right? So again, as you're becoming more distributed, as you know, this model, and before I think we were all very you know, um, insistent that PMs should be co-located with their engineering teams, because again, it goes back to communication. You probably don't want to wait for even a couple days, right? Or a week for your PM to get back to you on how you should handle the technical requirements or system recs around a customer requirement. But these days, right, especially given that, as I mentioned, one of uh, some part of our PM team sits in a different location, how do we make sure that communication happens as if they were co-located in the same physical space, right? So that brings into how do we prioritize roadmaps? How do we manage our sprints and tie it back to roadmaps as well as around the, the PM productivity as well? So a lot of things that you mentioned, again, I would love to build that muscle with my team. So for example, how do we become more self-serve when we're looking at user adoption metrics or, you know, thinking of different ways that we can improve retention or even, you know, kind of knowing what are the main segments or verticals where customers might be, let's say, reducing their usage or attriting, right? So those are all really useful, I think, data points for a PM. Some of the more macro trends, I would say, in the role itself is as you see, PMs originally were the go between you know, business and engineering. These days, it's become a much, I would say, more impactful role. Because even if you look at you know, around the boardroom, typically you had the CFO, you know, the CMO and CTO roles. Most recently, you are also seeing a chief product officer role, which means that this person essentially owns everything that is related to the product. So it becomes a much more visionary role as more companies are product-oriented um, rather than service-oriented. So that's, I think, the, the direction that we're seeing. I'm also seeing a proliferation of a model which Amazon and other companies have started, as I mentioned, the general manager role, where at some point you not only manage product managers, but you also extend to managing engineers. And I am seeing that model proliferate in other companies as well. So once you manage not just or you own not just the roadmap, but also the delivery of the roadmap, that also gives you certain levers that you can adjust and pull. And in my opinion, over the course of time, be able to deliver much faster. Thanks. That was great. Now, um, we're kind of getting to the end here today. This has been a great conversation. I, I thought I'd ask, you know, two questions that were more about you, about Nancy. What's your favorite product? That's a great question. I would have to say one that I'm using day to day right now is LinkedIn as I'm growing my my team. I think it's a, it's a great market right now for a lot of talent to explore new opportunities. But that said, shameless plug, I am hiring. So for folks out there who are interested in building new cloud services, definitely let me know. But, you know, in, in more seriousness, I do like the fact how, you know, LinkedIn really originally started as a community of professionals, but leveraging that community base has built additional add-on tools, like let's say LinkedIn Recruiter, LinkedIn Pages, and most recently, LinkedIn Learning for professionals who are looking to build their skills. It's a great example of how you know, a product company has really taken a hold in a particular space and has moved into adjacent markets. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. I, I have recently you know, made the mistake of maybe accepting a few too many LinkedIn connections. 
and my inbox has gotten to the point where I need like a superhuman for my LinkedIn messaging just because there's so many people now trying to sell things. And I feel like I'm in LinkedIn drip campaigns where I get like a message from sales guy every three days about financial software, which I don't buy. But nonetheless, I stay on that list. So I'm, I have this huge fan of LinkedIn. And at the same time now, I'm like, oh, wait, it would be cool if there's a superhuman for LinkedIn messaging so I can clean this up. But yeah, yeah, I can see LinkedIn as something that uh, is, it's just been a powerful product. And in looking at how it's evolved too, as kind of a, I mean, I've been using it for, it's got to be more than a decade you know, probably going on two decades. Wow. It's interesting to think about how that product evolves over time or has evolved over time. Well, and on the human, superhuman topic, I do have friends who are, who work on LinkedIn messages. So I, you know, if you're interested, I'd love to pass that requirement along. Oh, I, I feel like I'm now missing important things because I get so much content. And for me, maybe it's just, I need to unfollow some of these people that maybe, you know, are selling me stuff that I don't need to buy. But who knows? Maybe there's a better way to, to solve that problem. But yeah, I, I, I love LinkedIn. I'm in there daily. It's been a great way for me to you know, both keep track of people and as their careers have evolved and also just uh, you know, to, to find prospects and people I should be talking to, whether for my podcast or you know, with my association with Pendo. So, yeah, and actually uh, for your podcast, I'd love to recommend some of the phenomenal product leaders that we know through the AWIP network. Yeah, I would love to have that. I'm always looking for podcast guests, always looking for people that have strong points of view on, you know, an underlying subject of product management or underlying area of product management. So yeah, always looking for great guests. Well, one final question for you today. I always find this interesting to, to see what product leaders say uh, as an answer to this question. But the question is uh, three words to describe yourself. Oh, man. Sure. So I would say one is tenacious. I would say I've never given up on a project or a product ever. So for good or for worse, sometimes that can irk the the engineering team. We'll we'll save that for another conversation. And uh, I would say second one is I have both high standards for myself as well as for my team. And so, you know, oftentimes we're, that has resulted in, for example, my team kind of growing, you know, beyond our original targets or shipping many features way ahead of our original schedule again, for better, for worse. And I would say the last one is very community driven is I love building communities, whether that's within my own team, uh, within my broader org or through uh, AWIP where really, I think selfishly, my favorite part about having founded AWIP and, and continuing to be a curator for the community is that I get to meet so many awesome PMs that I wouldn't get to in my normal day-to-day job is that, you know, outside of the world of cloud computing, there are also PMs in very traditional industries like oil and gas or consumer, actually physical products or through, you know, social media. And it's really fascinating getting to see what their day-to-day lives are as compared to, you know, the PMs that I work with on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nancy. I appreciate your time today. This has been great. Awesome. And thanks so much for having me.